When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, I've got a great guest lined up for you today. Her name is Roberta Matchison. Roberta is a professional speaker, thought leader on talent, and international best-selling author. She has an active follower base of over 250,000 business professionals on LinkedIn. She's a highly sought-after expert who helps leaders in Fortune 500 companies, including Best Buy, GM, and Microsoft, as well as mid-sized businesses, achieve dramatic growth and market leadership through the maximization of talent. Her new book, Can We Talk? The Seven Principles for Managing Difficult Work Conversations, will be released in the fall of 2021. I can't tell you how honored I am to have Roberta as a guest. Uh, Her topics, uh, this idea of difficult conversations is an extremely valuable one, as we've seen over the past few years, and it's not going away. So go ahead, tune in, get ready. We're about to have some great conversation that's going to help you have great conversations. Uh, Roberta, thanks for being with us. Well, thank you so much for having me, Earl. Yeah, I really am am blessed to be having this conversation with you, and uh, especially somebody who kind of makes a living about talking about how we talk and have uh, difficult conversations. And with that kind of backdrop in mind uh, and knowing your experience I mentioned in the pre-roll bio there, um, I'm really curious to hear your answer that I start off all my guests with. When you hear the terms responsible leadership, what does that look like to you? Well, responsible leadership is taking care of your people and putting your people before you, you know, first, putting them before your own needs. To me, that's what responsible leadership is. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that a lot. And it it really falls in line uh, a lot with, uh, you know, kind of the, the military leadership, you know, as we were talking, my background's in the Marines and we have this, uh, this saying, Simon Sinek kind of made it famous because he wrote a book about it, but you know, leaders eat last. And, and that's a lot of what you, you know, that's, that's the crux of what you were talking about there is, you know, we want to make sure that our people are taken care of so, you know, they can, they can thrive. Right. Yes. Especially now, since, um, there, there is such a lack of supply, right, of people. 
So if you've got great people, you're going to want to do everything you can to keep them. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and that is, you know, that, that was a, a lot that you said there in, in just, uh, you know, a few words, because, you know, we, we see the great resignation going on. Uh, we know that people are switching jobs. There's this kind of blue collar to white collar exodus going on, so to speak. And, you know, Markets are crowded in a lot of different ways, but the job market and, and attracting and retaining the, the right kind of talent is really one of those critical market uh, choke points right now. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I help organizations attract top talent that will stick around. And, you know, those that are, you know, following suit and have a process in place and are taking their employees very seriously and really listening are doing so much better than those that aren't in terms of retaining really good people. Yeah. And, and uh, there's a, a great distinction to be made between getting talent and getting top talent, right? Yes. And there's also a very big distinction between keeping people and keeping your great people. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, so, you know, uh, you, you've got uh, a couple of books have come out, uh, recently, uh, cause, uh, Evergreen Talent came out, what, just two years ago? It came out in February of 2020 and the pandemic hit in March of 2020. <laughs> so the timing was not really great, but, you know, when you write a commercially published book and the publisher has a pub date, you know, you go. <laughs> there you go. And then you followed it up. And this is the one that's going to take up kind of uh, the bulk of our conversation, kind of as a backdrop today, I'd imagine. Uh, but recently, uh, I want to say late 2021, uh, you came out with Can We Talk? Um, so that that's like, that's a, an impressive turnaround for two great books. Did you have those already in the shoot ready to go? Oh, or did, did no. the pandemic drive a lot of that? Well, after I stopped sobbing after the release of Evergreen Talent, thinking, you know, I have, you know, put so much work into this book. And at the time, the economy was humming and it was hard to get people and then to have it come out and then everything just poof, you know, disappear in front of my eyes was, you know, very disappointing. But obviously, you know, I understood that employers were more concerned and should have been concerned about you know, keeping their people alive than, than just keeping them happy. And so as I looked at the situation, I just said to myself, this can't be my swan song, right? Because you never know if you're going to write another book. I'm like, I can't go out like this. Right. So I pitched a new idea to, um, I wrote a book proposal, my agent pitched it, and it got picked up. So I wrote that during the pandemic. But what was so great about writing it during the pandemic was I had an opportunity to really address the needs of readers who were managing remotely. And so in the past, I would say in certain situations, you know, never have this conversation on, on the phone. It should be in person. And then all of a sudden that was no longer possible. So as I threw out in the book all the scenarios about difficult conversations you might have, I made sure to address, you know, and what if you can't have this in person? You know, these are some things to really think about. Yeah. Well, no, and that is, I, I think that is fantastic timing, if you will. Uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of, of, you know, things happening for a reason. 
And, you know, if I'm following this timing right, you know, you kind of got on this when we needed to have a lot of difficult conversations, right? You, we, we had the pandemic kicking in, as you mentioned, we had people going to remote work, uh, you know, but across the nation, we had a lot of, you know, uh, civil unrest. Uh, you know, there were, it seems like every week there was some other type of, of, of issue, social justice issue cropping up. And those were difficult conversations that organizations were trying to have on top of pandemic management, talking to their workforce, helping those folks and supporting them through uh, that era. So did, did that drive some of the book at all? Well, what really drove the book was, you know, I do a lot of executive coaching and after a while you find yourself, you know, you notice patterns, right? And I found that my clients were challenged by many of these difficult conversations and I was giving them advice and I found that I was giving similar advice (laughs) and I thought, you know, it'd be a lot easier if I just wrote a book and, you know, had that available to them so that when they got into these scenarios Um, that, you know, eventually most of us will have one of those difficult conversations at work, that they had a resource that they could lean heavily on. No, and I love that you just said that there, because I think that is the the one thing that I like to, uh, you know, have folks I'm working with uh, really get through their head is it doesn't, a lot of this stuff is beyond your control, right? You can do You can have the perfect culture. You can have a great place to work. You can have all of that go on, you know, but we have a George Floyd incident pops up and you're still going to have to have difficult conversations. They're, they're unavoidable. They're going to happen. And what I like about your book is, is it is an outstanding resource for folks to be able to have difficult conversations, whether it is at work. And and you talk about this stuff on your YouTube channel, which I'll put the link in the show notes here because I think it's great. But one of the things that you've got on there is talking about something as simple as, you know, talking to an employee about that and telling them that they didn't get promoted. And a lot of leaders don't necessarily see that as a, a difficult conversation, but it really is, isn't it? Well, they don't see it as a difficult conversation because sometimes they don't have the conversation. <laughs> That's true. You know, all of a sudden... On Monday, they make an announcement. Oh, you know, I just want to let you guys know your colleague here, Mary, is just been promoted, right? But Sue is sitting there who applied for the job. But, you know, that manager never thought to even tell her that uh, this job isn't going to you. So, yeah. I tell you, I was working, uh, you know, again, kind of going off the video there. Um, I was working with an organization and, 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 what I loved about your video is it mapped out how this encounter went almost perfectly with one twist. And uh, I'm interested to hear your take on this. And if you've ran into this before, which I'm guessing you may have, uh, the, the, the boss calls up the person and leads off with all of these glowing reviews about everything that they did great and all that good stuff. Right. And it put this person in a mindset that they got the job and through the course of the conversation, somehow or another, the signals got crossed and this individual heard, I got the job. They called their wife. They started telling their friends. They were on cloud nine. And then this person had to go back and have a follow-up conversation. Like you must, you must've misheard something. You didn't get the job. And then that just crushed them then. Cause now they've got to go back and have a difficult conversation or 12 uh, on their <laughs> own. Uh, so, so I'm curious if you've seen that play out a lot. 
I have not seen that scenario, but I have seen the scenario where a manager will start a performance review or a termination conversation with, man, you know, you're a great guy. You're, you're my top performer. I'm, I'm really sorry to have to deliver this news, but, you know, we're going to have to let you go. Yeah, <laughs> And the person sitting there going, okay, um, you just told me I'm a great guy. You just told me I'm your top performer. How is it that you just told me that you have to let me go? I mean, clearly I misunderstood. You know, <laughs> well, and then right. they go to their lawyer <laughs> and they go, I don't get it. Look at, look at all my reviews. They've been pristine. I just got a big bonus. And my manager told me I was the best employee he's ever had. How can this be? And that is a critical point right there, because I think uh, I, I don't think a lot of folks think to that level of, uh, you know, I mean, you said they go to their lawyer, open themselves up to, you know, a wrongful termination suit or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's that's why look, listeners, uh, as we get ready to, to get into these these uh, seven principles here, and these are great principles, I want you to keep that really in your mindset is is. You know, we talk about organizations and employee engagement and things like that. And we talk about creating both physical and psychological safety, difficult conversations, being able to have them appropriately is really key to creating a psychologically safe environment. And can we talk is a great way to, to help guide you through that process. Uh, so let's go ahead and dive into those principles uh, a little bit. Does that sound okay with you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I love that you start off, uh, number one is confidence, trusting yourself and the other party. And I love that you throw the other party in there because there's always another party involved, even if you're talking to yourself, right? Yes. <laughs> and that's the guy or gal on your shoulders going, you don't want to say that. Don't go in there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but so let's talk about confidence, right? Because, you know, um, what is confidence? So uh, where is that line where confidence uh, crosses into cockiness? And how can we kind of avoid making that crossover, especially with these types of conversations? Well, I don't know if I draw a line and, and I'll give you an example. Um, one of my coaching clients, after having worked with me uh, for several months, went into his boss and started to push things, right? And started to push to make sure that his people were being paid fairly. And just like you said, he was making sure his people were being taken care of. And in that conversation, he said to his boss, you know, uh, what about us executives? Because if we're not being compensated well, we're, you know, you're at risk here as well. And so yesterday he called me and he said, Roberta, I have some exciting news. And I said, well, what is that? And he said, I just got a raise. Would you like to guess how much his raise was? Um, I, 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 so it's either going to go one or two ways. Either it was an insult of a raise or he kind of got a good 20% raise. Well, how about a $100,000 raise? Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I said to him, well, I guess you got your money's worth out of our coaching engagement. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But he got a $100,000 raise. And he, and he said to me, it's all because of you. And I said, what do you mean? He said, working with you, I had the confidence. I had the confidence to go in there and push and, and to push for what I thought was right for my people and to not back down and let my boss know 
that I deserved more money as well. Now, he didn't go in and ask for $100,000, but that's what he came out with. So, you know, when it comes to confidence, it's really, you know, knowing that you deserve something and, and stepping up and asking for it. And one of the things that I made sure in this book, Can We Talk, I made sure that there were examples in the book for people who needed to have difficult conversations with their boss as well as their peers. So it's not just a book like, oh, I'm a manager and I have to talk to my people about these uncomfortable situations. It's, I got to go to my boss and ask for something and I'm uncomfortable with that. But the more confident you are, and when you come across as being, you know, very clear in what you're looking for, it's amazing what will happen. No, it, it really is. And that's another one of those uh, kind of stigmas of military leadership that I like to uh, to debunk because the way Hollywood depicts it is, is it's, you know, this somebody barks orders and everybody scatters without question and just does it. And, you know, always like to hedge. Yes, there are some times where that happens and that is necessary. But by and large, military leadership is kind of centered around what you were just talking about, especially, you know, keeping your, your boss I don't want to say in line, but, you know, out of trouble. Like if you see them doing something that is obviously wrong, you're expected to kind of step up and say, you know, hey, corporal, hey, sergeant, hey, colonel, uh, you know, we, we need to take a look at this. This is not going to end well. And be able to strike that balance between healthy, you know, pushback and then, you know, listening and, and not crossing into, I guess you could say insubordination. But you're expected to really push back and not just let that person make an incorrect decision. And you talk about a difficult conversation, you know, being an enlisted person talking to an officer or something like that. You know, that takes a lot of confidence to go up and say, hey, sir, uh, you know, this is going to go sideways and here's why. But what I love about your story and the hundred thousand raise there is that's. A lot of times that's how that plays out because that person is appreciative that you came to them and, and shown a light on this topic, right? Right. And, and so it's so important, you know, especially to those of your listeners who are managers. I mean, the younger generation today, I mean, they don't think twice about pushing back. Right. So, you know, as much as you might think that it's going to be a difficult conversation, they're excited. Like they want to, they want to challenge you. They want to, you know, have a conversation with you. So you might be fearful, like, oh my God, like they're going to be really upset that I want to give them some feedback, but they're just sitting there going, please tell me, how do I get better? How do I get the next promotion? How do I get a raise here? Yeah. Well, and, and I love the word that you use a lot throughout this first chapter is, is trust. And you know, that really is. I like how you put it kind of the, the last subchapter title, the cornerstone of all relationships. And that is so true is, is uh, getting an organization to realize that you need to build a level of trust where, uh, you know, it's OK to, to really have those conversations and nobody really feels threatened by it because you understand it's for the common good. Right. Right. And it's not like the military. We're not going to follow you into the war right? Without questioning, <laughs> you know, yeah. we can give our letters of resignation. We, we you know, when you're in the military, you, it's hard to kind of resign, right? 
<laughs> hey, I changed my mind. You know, it doesn't work like that in, in you know, the world of work. Well, but you, you just hit something kind of critical there, too, especially with the new generation. And this is what we saw. Uh, you know, I don't want to make this a political conversation by any stretch, but, you know, with what we're talking about here, uh, you know, we saw with the, the vaccine mandate that kind of happened. Right. We saw a large number of military personnel say, no, I'm not going to get the vaccine and push back. So. Uh, yeah, I think that trend does hold true even in the military to the to, you to know, this I, day. I kind of wondered about that. And when I saw that, I thought to myself, and this is, you know, I'm not military and I'm not political. I thought this is the perfect excuse. If you are, if you signed up and you, and it's not what you thought it was, this is a perfect excuse to just get out, right? Just say, no, I, I'm not, I, it's, it, I don't believe in it. I'm against it. And just take your papers and leave. So I'm, I wonder how many people chose that path just as an easy way to get out. I don't have an answer, but it is something that I think about. No, I mean, it's a good question. It really is. And I don't necessarily have an answer either. I, I will say this, just knowing how that process kind of works out. I, I think there's a lot of true conviction behind it versus, you know, taking it as a way out because most of the time, you know, that ends up being some type of, of bad conduct type discharge, which has ramifications going later on down the line. Uh, but you're probably right. I mean, there's there's no way to know for sure uh, what motivates somebody there. But it's just very interesting to see because I served in the late 90s when the anthrax vaccine was mandated. And, you know, we had like onesies and twosies that, that said no. But by and large, you know, everybody just said, OK, here's my arm. Uh you know, because it was kind of a generational difference. So, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, so, but I like, again, I like the confidence and, and uh, that, that folks have that ability to kind of sit back and, and do the healthy pushback and, and push the conversation farther. Uh, but I think a lot of this last bit of conversation here kind of ties into your second principle here, uh, which is clarity, making your point clearly and listening with an open mind. So let's talk about that for a second. Why is that important? Well, so many times we get into these conversations and we really have no end game. <laughs> like we really don't know, like, what is it that we really want to achieve here? And I'll give you an example. Um, I was coaching my son who's getting ready to graduate college and he was in the process of his job search. And, you know, I said, well, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? And he's like, yes. And I wasn't listening. And then I kept going, you know, on and on and on. And then he's, and he said, yes. And then he said the words that every parent would love to hear. You're right. Right. You don't ever hear that. <laughs> You're right. And, but I kept going on and on. And I had to stop myself and I just said, wait a minute, you just wrote this book. You need to shut up. You And I went back to my son and I said, you know, I apologize. You, you, I, because I got the conversation where I needed it to go. And then I should have just shut up. And oftentimes, like, we're so busy, you know, thinking, like, we don't know where we're going, that when we get there, we're not like, okay, this is great. We've come to agreement. Let's move on. Right. But yeah. no, we have to keep going and hashing it out. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And 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 I got to wonder, and again, I don't know uh, how much of this you stumbled on when you were putting the book together, but, uh, you know, how much of it is just that 
essentially talking different languages, right? Like I run into, uh, I run into issues a lot of times where, you know, a leader will say, look, I said this, the, 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 the staff or whatever is saying, like, we had no clue. And the leader's like, I've said this, I've said this like three or four different times. They're like, I've never heard this before. And in a lot of instances, they're both right because the leader thinks they're saying something, but the, the audience isn't hearing what the leader thinks that they're saying. Right. Right. Which is why I used an example in the book of that exact scenario happening and that what my client who who didn't explain clearly to one of his VPs what he the behavior changes that he wanted to see, which then resulted him having to fire the guy was, you know, he could have said, now tell me what I just what you just heard. Right. And just to get clarification, like, okay, you know, so what did you hear me say? Tell me what you heard. Right. And, and if this VP would have said, I heard you say that I'm not a team player, my, my client might've gone back and said, no, that's not what I said. I said, if you don't do this, this, and this, you're not going to have a job. And that is such a critical tool right there is that, that follow up. Hey, this is what I just heard and, and recapping and, that can clear up so many misunderstandings before they even become misunderstandings, couldn't it? Exactly. Because then you would say, well, no, that's not what, if I said that, that's not what I meant. Right. Right. (laughs) Cause sometimes you don't, you don't, you, when you talk out loud, sometimes that's the first time you're hearing yourself think, right? (laughs) Well, absolutely. And then you got to factor in all those different dimensions of, you know, like cultural context and, and, you know, past, uh, past, practices and past behaviors that somebody's dealing with and you know how they're interpreting those words like it's it's a it's it's conversation talking is easy a conversation is pretty difficult right yes (laughs) because that requires you to listen and most of us are more interested in talking yeah and and i love you know as we're kind of going through here i love I love the, the, the last subtitle again uh, of the ch- this last subchapter in, in this, uh, you know, where you talk about doing right and, and being right. And that's that's one of the things that I've said quite a bit is it's amazing what people can do when when they're more focused on doing what is right than being right. And, and that is a, a very big distinction, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so how do you get people? Uh, and, and I think, you know, that three letter word ego probably comes to play in quite a bit in here, but how do you get people more focused on doing what is right versus being right? Well, you really have to demonstrate to them why it's in their best interest to do whatever it is you're asking. So, I mean, because people, you know, they, they, we act on emotion, right? So if you can convince me and give me a reason why, I should be doing something, then I'm absolutely going to help you out. Love it. Love it. Yes. hundred percent. Um, so let's go to number three here and, and listeners again, we're just scratching the surface and all this stuff. Uh, Roberta has a lot of great information, a lot of great examples in this book. Uh, I really encourage you to go get a copy and add it to your bookshelf. But number three here is, uh, compassion, be empathetic and understanding. But Roberta, I mean, that that's weakness, isn't it? Not in my book. <laughs> you must have read someone else's book. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hopefully you could hear my, my tongue planted firmly I, in my uh, cheek. <laughs> I, <laughs> I can. Uh, but 
but I mean, I think that's that's really uh, a critical skill in any conversation is is empathy, understanding, uh, being able to connect with that person. Again, we talked about some of those, uh, you know, past practices, cultural differences, things like that. Those soft skills are are very much as critical to to having a difficult conversation as anything else, aren't they? Well, that's the key to having those difficult conversations, right? Yeah. I mean, if it was if it were the hard skills like technology and using your computer, I'm sure all of your listeners are very um, proficient in how to send that email, right? <laughs> but what to put in it might be another story. That's true, and and that is uh, a big piece there too. With uh, I imagine with having difficult conversations uh, today is is a lot of people. In my opinion, we rely too much on email to trying to have those conversations and you lose too much of what communication is when you send an email, don't you? Yeah. And a lot of times I have to even remind myself, I'll start to type an email and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to pick up the phone. Let me just tell this person what I need, right? Or what I want. You know, it just, you forget like, oh, we... We walk around, right, with these things in our hands everywhere we go, but we forget you can actually make a call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I, I What was the numbers? You know, I'm not even going to try to make them up in my head, because, but I just remember reading a, a, a study recently that talked about what you just said about the, the amount of time that somebody spends texting versus the amount of time somebody spends right. making a phone call <laughs> these days. And it's it's like a it was like a 12 or 13 to one ratio. Like, you know, we spend so much more time texting than we ever do talking. And it, it's a phone primarily. It's supposed to be a phone. Um, well, but, you can even make a call from your, your Apple watch. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, where I was walking the other day with a friend of mine and she didn't have her phone and she answered her watch. I'm like, how can you do that without your phone? She goes, Oh, I have data on my watch. I'm like, Oh, you know, so yeah, you yeah. can even do that. It's 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 amazing. And well, but and that goes into another one of the points, uh, kind of subchapters here, right? Is we're so connected, we're so on, we're we're always moving in some way, shape, or form. And and even for our job, even when we're quote unquote off. Um, but you talk about slowing down to speed up the conversation. What what does that mean and why is it important? Well, I think when people have difficult conversations, their number one goal is to get it over with. And so they charge through it, right? And they don't stop to see, well, what is the other, how's the other person reacting? Um, They don't give the other person a chance to respond. They've prepared the script and they're going to get through it no matter what that other person does. And you find that when you slow it down, when you slow down the conversation and you sort of take it in, that the outcomes of those conversations are far better than when you try to charge through them. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, the, people can tell, right. When, when you're just a uh, checkbox on their to-do list for the day versus you're a conversation that actually means something to the person having the conversation. People can tell that, right? Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and nobody wants to feel that way, do they? No. And they can, they can especially tell when you keep looking at your watch. Right. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, are we done yet? <laughs> like, I have another appointment. <laughs> so I'm very interested. Uh, you end this chapter uh, with a question. Uh, hyper empathy. Is there such thing as caring too much? So absolutely. Is there? Absolutely. I, I and I, the woman that I highlight in that chapter is a former client who is now a friend. And, you know, you, she learned that very valuable lesson that I teach my clients. And that's, you can't want more for someone than what they want for themselves. And she just kept trying to, you know, this story in the book goes into more detail, but one of her, one of the men in her group had a baby. And, you know, when he came back from leave, he had a million excuses why he couldn't get work done. And, you know, it was interesting because she doesn't have children, yet she was very empathetic to what he was going through. And she kept giving him this leash and it finally came back to bite her because she gave him such a long leash that, you know, she was told, like, you have to reduce your department and this guy's going. And that didn't really look very, you know, that didn't make her look really good because right. she should have said to him way before, you know, this isn't working. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. That That is, uh, that is a great story and, and it plays out a lot. And, um, yeah. I, 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 I've seen that happen. And, and, and like you just pointed out, it, it builds, we, we think that it's doing that person a, a service. We're trying to be overly empathetic. We're trying to be overly understanding. We're trying to give them a chance, but you're kind of enabling those bad habits to, to happen and build. And, and you're really doing them a much more of a disservice by being that hyper empathetic person, aren't you? Absolutely. Because that's not how the world works, right? <laughs> right. Right. Um, so number four um, is curiosity, asking questions rather than shutting down. Uh, and I love this one, but I'm curious, like, what is the, the kind of the key takeaway from this principle that you want listeners to, to kind of travel with? Well, I want them to really walk away with the understanding that, you know, you cannot make assumptions. You have no idea how somebody feels or what they're thinking unless you ask. And so don't make assumptions. Don't think, oh, you know, this guy is doing this on purpose or whatever. There could be extenuating circumstances. And unless you take the time to have those conversations and to be curious and ask, well, you know, how, how is this so? Like, how did you come to this conclusion? You know, unless you ask those questions and you really listen deeply, you're going to really miss the boat on this. Yeah. And, and that right there, again, I'm, I'm curious to hear your experiences, but, you know, I'll share mine is, is that piece that you just mentioned right there is probably one of the easiest ways to avoid and if not avoid quickly de-escalate conflict is just being curious about what's going on. Yes. I mean, it's simply asking, Hey, you know, how did you come to that conclusion? You know, what's your evidence? Share this with me. Yeah. I, I was working with, uh, with a group and uh, there was conflict between one of the managers and, and one of the employees. And it was, you know, it was kind of the, hey, you come in every morning and you say hello to everybody but me. 
And the, the person thought that the manager just absolutely despised them. And come to find out, once they talked through it, you know, the manager's like, look, here's where I come in where you said, I don't see you. I didn't even know that you were there. I didn't know I was not saying hello to you at the boarding because you weren't in my visual field. I apologize. And it was, you know, that not asking the question, why don't you, you know, say hello to me? We could have avoided a lot of this. And, you know, luckily they were on both parties were kind of understanding to, to each other's uh, plight there. Um, but yeah, there, there were probably, you know, six, seven months of animosity just building up over this one little long story short, what had happened was, uh, no pun intended there was the, the manager was on the shorter side and the employee sat over to the back and it was just tall enough, the, the cubicle to where they couldn't see like the top of their head, like they could everybody else. And once they explained it, it was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> well, and, and if that employee had read the book and had felt uncomfortable with the fact that why am I being treated differently, he or she would have been comfortable approaching the boss saying, hey, you know, I noticed that when you come in every morning, you seem to say hello to everybody but me. Mm-hmm. Is there something going on here, right? So that's where, that's the value of this book. And that's why it's so important that people understand that that you know it's not just the manager who's responsible for these conversations and for starting them it's also your role as an employee to make sure if you have something that's on your mind that you bring it up it's it's a two-way street here yeah a hundred percent and and not just and again uh you you make this point uh, a couple of different places and definitely on your youtube channel but it's not just one of those things that you do, like I mentioned in this case, it was like several months. It wasn't until a performance review that this came to light. You don't wait, right? You try to have the conversation immediately. No, you know, you don't wait. And because nothing ever great happens when you wait. Yeah. It, it, it makes it a lot worse. So um, let's, let's jump ahead here to number five. Um, and, and I love that you put this in here because this seems to be almost a four letter word these days, but compromise, earn respect by respecting others. Uh, again, tongue planted firmly in cheek, but compromise is a sign of weakness, Roberta. (laughs) You know, it's so funny when I wrote this book, um, a lot of, a lot of things that I wrote about, I had family members in mind and, you know, I just thought to myself, there's there's definitely an issue around compromise, right? It's either I'm right or you're wrong. That's it, right? But there is a middle ground. And so when you're having these difficult conversations, it's like the whole goal is for us to come to a place where we can build and or rebuild our relationship, you know, unless that conversation is about, you know, transitioning someone out of the organization. So it's so important to think, okay, well, what would be acceptable? You know, so maybe in this situation you describe with this manager not saying hello to this employee, a compromise might have been, you know, hey, I'll tell you what, when I come in two, two days a week, I'm going to walk around the office and if you're here, I'll say hello, you know, rather than just assuming that, you know, you're not here. And, yeah. the, and the employee probably would have said, yeah, that works. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or you, or they might have compromised and the manager might have said, why don't you do this? You know, I'll come to you two days a week and two days a week you come to me. And if 
the fifth day will stand in the middle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I, I love that. And and I'll say, you know, even if it's somebody exiting an organization, you know, I, I was chatting with a guy um, and we, this came up, you know, about about helping people transition out of out of an organization. And, um, you know, one of the things that this guy would do, and I, I got to give him a lot of credit for this because not a lot of leaders would would go to this step. But he's like, look, is if somebody doesn't do anything that's illegal, immoral, or unethical, one of the things that I like to do is if they need to leave because they're just not a culture fit or or whatever the, the situation is, if they're overall a good person, good employee, if I have to terminate somebody, I'm going to try to help them land softly. I'm going to try to you know say, hey, look, you're not a fit here, but I got a buddy over here that I think you would be a good fit for. Do you want me to make some phone calls for you? Uh, and you can still have that difficult conversation and, and find that compromise point. And even though it's not a fit there, you know, maybe you can help somebody find their fit as part of the process, right? I have done that. I've done that a number of times. And it's also when I, you know, and I also write about this in the book, Can We Talk? It's also about, you know, helping people keep their dignity. So who cares if they resign or they're fired? Right. Yeah. If you give them an opportunity and say, look, we're at a crossroad here. You know, we got two avenues we can go down. One is I can put in termination papers here or the other is you can resign. What would you like to do? You know, yeah. <laughs> and give them a choice. Give them a soft exit. Yeah, exactly. And and that on both parts uh, takes. Takes a lot of. That trust piece, again, that we've already talked about, uh, because it's it's kind of hard to trust somebody who's firing you, isn't it? Yes, but <clears throat> if they're helping you transition, that's a different story. Exactly, exactly. Um, all right, so number six here is uh, credibility. Recognizing your word is only as good as your actions, and... Well, I love this one is, you know, one of the things I talk about here at the Leadership Phalanx, uh, I talk about those shields. And the first one I talk about is you were always on display. And that boils, that, that's kind of what this boils down to is you have to make sure that your actions and your word are in alignment. Otherwise, there is zero shot at credibility, right? Well, I do a lot of leadership training and especially, you know, for new leaders who are suddenly in charge. And I always say to them, Look, it's your behaviors that matter, not your intent. Yep. So that's really what's important. And people will notice that disconnect quick, fast, and in a hurry, won't they? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's amazing. It's like blood in the water sometimes. Is, uh, it, it's that obvious. And um Bringing all this kind of together, if you will, I love the fact that you ended, and I don't know if you did this on purpose as kind of the last of the the seven, but you kind of end with courage, navigating the obstacles. Uh, why did you put courage at, at number seven as kind of the capstone there? Well, I put courage at the end because I'm hoping that people, after they've read the book and they have the skill set now because they have the process that they need in order to have effective conversations. I'm hoping that they will have the courage that as a result of reading this book, 
they will have the courage to have these conversations because it does take courage. It does take courage to, to tell your boss you're not happy with the way they're treating you. It does take courage to ask for a raise. It does take courage to tell an employee that their performance isn't up to standards. So that was my hope at the end. It was like, okay, guys, you've got what you need. Now you need the courage and let's get this conversation going. Yeah, no, I love it because it's true. And it, it's, it, it really is the, the, the perfect word for it because, you know, we always talk about courage isn't an absence of fear. It's acting in the presence of fear. And, and I think if you, I think if you don't go into these conversations with a little bit of, of healthy fear and the courage to push through it, uh, you know, you're, you're really setting yourself up for failure uh, more than anything else, right? I mean, if you go in with this cavalier attitude that you've got all the right answers, you know everything that's going on, and you're not afraid to have the conversation, I don't know how it can end well. Well, I have a little di- bit of a different viewpoint on that. I mean, you have been in the military, right? Mm-hmm. And right. so people are shooting at you, okay? Mm-hmm. That is a that is something that could happen. But when you go into these conversations, you have to remember there's nobody shooting at you, right? And so what's the worst that can happen? And that's how I look at it. I, I, I don't want people to go in having a little bit of you know fear about what might come out of this. I want them to go in confidently because they're going to come out of this alive one way or another. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, I guess where I was going with it is, is uh, you know, going back to the empathy piece and all that, make it be having the respect and the empathy there to, to not just say, Hey, you're fired. Uh, but yeah, I see where you're going. I, I, I can get with that. Um, so Roberta, we've been chatting here for good grief. We were already approaching about 40, uh, 40, 45 minutes or so here. Uh, the time has flown. Um, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to cover that, that you want to leave listeners with before we close out here? Well, I just want your listeners to know that it's, you know, management is not easy. Okay. And, and anyone who has ever been in management knows that this is not a cakewalk, but you know, these conversations are, are, it's about skill building. And the sooner you get better at having these conversations, the more successful you will be in your career. I love that. I love that. Um, so folks want to find out more about Roberta Matchison. They want to find out how to work with you. They want to find out where, uh, you know, more about your, your previous books before Can We Talk? Uh, what's a good place for them to do that? Well, they can go to my website, Matchison, M-A-T-U-S-O-N, consulting.com. They can send me a LinkedIn invite and just mention your name, Earl, so I know who they are. And um, they can follow me on Twitter at at Matchison. All right. No, that's great. That's great. Well, Roberta, thank you very much for having uh, this conversation and spending this time with with me and my listeners. This has been outstanding. I really love the book. Listeners, I want to plug this one last time. Make sure you get over there. We're going to have those links in the show notes. It's going to be very easy for you to just click and go. 
get yourself a copy of Can We Talk and, and have this thing handy. Go through it and get ready to either start having those difficult conversations or be better at having those difficult conversations. Uh, so, Roberta, thank you for spending this time with us and having this outstanding discussion with me and my listeners on the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Well, thanks again for having me, Earl. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X dot com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your hosts for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour.